Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2? Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and as you turn to Philippians 2, let me tell you about a high school orchestra. High school orchestra that was preparing for a concert that prominently featured a pianist. And before the performance, it was customary for the orchestra to tune all of their instruments to the sound of the oboe player playing an A, but this particular oboist was a practical joker. And he tuned his instrument just a half step higher than the piano. You, you, musicians, you musicians know that there was havoc afterwards. It's uh, not a good thing to be out of tune as an orchestra. You can imagine the effect after the pianist played a beautiful introduction. <laughs> the members of the orchestra joined in. What confusion followed? Every instrument, of course, was out of tune with the piano. Obviously, the whole orchestra needs to be in tune for there to be pleasing sound. The whole orchestra needs to be tuning to the same note for there to be pleasing sounds. And just as an orchestra needs to be in tune to make pleasing sounds, so God's people need to be in tune. We need to be in tune with one another if we want to give pleasing service to the Lord together in this place. How do believers get in tune with one another? Paul began to address this in chapter 1 and verse 27 when he told the believers at Philippi that he wanted to hear a good report about them. He wanted to hear a pleasing report about them. He wanted to hear a good report that they were standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The word for this is unity. Unity. Unity has always been a necessity for God's people. Unity has always been a necessity for God's church. Unity has also always been a challenge for God's people. Unity is a challenge where there are people. Take any home, for example. Why? Well, because very often we're facing change. We're facing challenges. We're facing change, and most of us don't like change, and sometimes we react to things we don't like with sinful attitudes, sinful words or actions. But unity in the church is still an absolute necessity if we're going to accomplish what God has for us in this place for his glory It is an absolute necessity still for the church today. We know this because we see it in the Bible. God inspired Paul to write about it several times, not only as we will see as we enter Philippians chapter 2, but also in a place like 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to verse 20. Paul writes, For I fear that perhaps when I come I I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. I always tell my kids that. When I leave... I want to find you as I wish, otherwise you may find me not as you wish. I think that's what he had in mind. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Man, all of those things he lists lead to or are marks of 
disunity among brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not how God intended for his church to exist. So to the church at Rome, Paul also wrote the following in Romans chapter 15 and verses 5 through 7. May the God of, and hear this, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. God had taught Paul the importance of unity in the church. God had influenced Paul's thinking. God had changed Paul's mind and helped him realize the importance of unity in the the church. And so we see several times, not only other biblical authors inspired by the Holy Spirit, but Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit writes about the unity of the church several times. So inspired by God, as we look at the word together, as we look at our Bibles and we realize that this is God's inspired word As we see here in Philippians 2, how God inspired Paul to make an appeal to the church at at Philippi for unity, so God gives us. We need to understand that this is God's appeal to us today for unity, to be unified as God's people. In fact, we're going to see lessons throughout chapter 2 on the importance of unity in the church. Well, let's start our look at chapter 2 with the first two verses this morning. Follow along as I read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 from the English Standard Version. Philippians 2, verse 1. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. I want you to see here this morning that Paul makes two arguments for unity in the church. In verse 1, we see the foundation for unity. He lays out the foundation. He says, here's the foundation for your unity in the church. So we have the foundation for unity. And then in verse 2, we have the call for unity. It's like a pleading, it's a, it's a call, it's a challenge. So the foundation for unity and the call for unity. So first note, in verse 1, the foundation. What is the foundation for unity in the church? What is the foundation for brothers and sisters in Christ, for those who follow Christ? What's the foundation for our unity? We need to make sure we get this right, because we might get this wrong if we think in unbiblical terms. The proper and solid foundation for unity in the church is so essential. Verse 1 begins with the words, so if. But be careful there, Paul is speaking of qualities that are not uncertain, but of those which are certain. These are real. These are certainties which make up the foundation for unity among all believers in Jesus Christ. The if clause here could have actually just as easily been translated, since, since there is. That's the idea here. Since there is encouragement in Christ, and so on. In other words, the qualities that Paul mentions here in in verse 1 are very real. And they are available to every believer in Jesus Christ. 
We ought not think that unity is impossible because we're just all so different. Yes, we all are, we all are so different. But if our eyes are firmly fixed on Christ, there is hope. There is that opportunity to glorify God with our unity as a church. There is encouragement in Christ. There is comfort from love for every believer and follower of Christ. There is participation in the Spirit. There is affection and sympathy. All of these are very real in the person who not only believes in Jesus, the one who says, not only says, I believe, but the one who says, I will follow, I will seek to obey I will walk by faith. We can count on these. So note that the Greek word for encouragement has the root meaning of coming alongside someone to give assistance or, or by giving comfort of some sort or, or even counsel or even exhortation. Encouragement. There is encouragement for all who are in Christ Jesus, for all who trust in him, for those who by faith in Christ walk with Christ. Walk in the word. This is a reminder that we have his promise of encouragement as we live by faith. Often where we find we're discouraged, we can take a quick self-examination. Sometimes we find, you know what, I haven't been walking by faith. I've been walking in the flesh. No wonder I'm discouraged. No wonder I'm disheartened. But when we seek to live by faith, when we seek to make God's word our own and we pour it into our hearts and minds and seek to take steps of obedience, we will have the encouragement that God gives his children who walk by faith. And in the next phrase, comfort from love, Paul is likely referring to the love that God shows to believers. There is comfort from the love that God shows to believers. Yes, there should be you might think, there, but wait, there's supposed to be love in the church for one another, right? Yes, there is. Yes, there should be love for one another, which brings comfort. There should be our familial-like love that we have in the family of God, our love for one another. It gives encouragement and comfort, but the love, even that love, has its root, has its foundation in, in the love of God for us as his children, and so the love of God that is mentioned in Romans 5.5, 5, I think, is what is at play here, where Paul writes, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. There is comfort from the love of God for us. There is encouragement. There is comfort as we bathe in, as we, as we soak in, as we soak in the love of God, as we think about the depths of God's love for us, as we explore them in his word. There is comfort from the love of God for us, and there is the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to emphasize and, and make clear in our hearts and minds that God deeply loves us. He demonstrates his love for us. Through the sacrifice of his son. He makes his love clear in that. But he also pours his love into us by way of his indwelling presence, the Holy Spirit. Next we see that we have the help of the Holy Spirit. Note the phrase, participation in the Spirit. That's the communion each believer has with the Holy Spirit as the believer lives by faith. 
It's hard to have communion with the Holy Spirit when you're living by the flesh and, and taking your eyes off of the Word of God and taking your eyes off of Christ by faith. But, but living by faith, we have this participation in the Spirit. The Spirit comes alongside and from within encourages us and, and strengthens us and even helps us see when we need to do business with sin in our lives. We have the Holy Spirit's help. Participation in the Spirit, that's the communion with the Holy Spirit that we experience when we walk by faith. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory, says Colossians 1.27. And I want you to note the phrase affection and sympathy. That's the tenderness. That's the compassion of Christ. God has shown his love for us through the affection and sympathy of Christ. Taking on himself the punishment for our sin. It's what we remembered this morning at the Lord's table. We see the depths of his affection, the depths of his sympathy, which we, if we are believers, are recipients of from Christ. So the unity we have with others isn't based on our feelings. We might think first of feelings when we think of unity, but, but that's not where we base our unity. It's not based on how we feel. Our unity is based on God's love for us. God's enduring, unstoppable love for us. It's based on what he has done for us. What he has finished for us. And it's based on what he is doing in us. It's based on what he is promising to do through us when we walk by faith with his word and by his spirit. And because all believers in Christ have the Holy Spirit's presence working in them and and helping them and that presence to strengthen them and to encourage them and be their comforter in times of hardship and difficulty, we have his help. Don't ever forget this. If you, if you long for unity in God's church, don't forget you have his help. If you will yield to it, we will each have his help in this. This is God's desire for his church. We will have his help. We will have his wisdom for unity with one another when we search for his wisdom from his word and we seek to obey that wisdom with our feet and we walk by faith. The foundation for unity in the church is outlined in verse one. And these truths should compel us should challenge us to live by faith, seeking unity with each other in Christ. For the glory of God. For the sake of the gospel. And then verse 2 begins with this personal appeal from Paul saying, complete my joy. He's saying, you know what would really bring me joy? You know what would really make me happy? Your unity. I want to hear. You're getting along. You're serving together. Just as parents love to see their children getting along, what joy it brings to your deacons, to your pastor, to those who lead you, what joy it brings when we see you getting along. And I praise God for this. There are signs of growth in this and encouragement in this, and I praise God for this. I'm going to share an example of this that, that should encourage and, and strengthen you as we serve together. I'm going to share it a bit later. How's that for a teaser? But there's a, there are wonderful signs of unity in the body of Christ in this 
place for which I praise God. But we had never let our guard down. We had never let our guard down. We had to want to please God. We had to want to put a smile on his face when he sees the unity that we have in this fellowship. And so, in verse 2, Paul extends the call to unity. He starts by saying, complete my joy. Bring me real joy in this, in your obedience to God in this way. So verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Here's the call to unity. Having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now note that Paul is calling the church to be like-minded. He is not calling the church to uniformity. He's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about being like-minded. I appreciate John MacArthur's remarks on this. He says, in this context, being of the same mind means to actively strive to achieve common understanding and genuine agreement. How important that is for God's people. And we can have this kind of unity without uniformity. We don't have to all be uniform. We don't all have to be the same. God doesn't intend that. For example, we should all agree that it is important for us as parents, for those of us who are parents, to give our attention to the biblical admonition to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as Ephesians 6.4 teaches us. I hope we can all agree on what God's word says. It's a command here. This is not a preference or a choice. We should be unified in our belief in this command from the Bible. And in that way, we will be like-minded. Yet it's likely not wise for us, it's likely not wise for me to stand here and imply that this command applies to the type of education we choose for our children as families. What's important is not uniformity. What's important is the conviction that this is God's word and we must obey. What does this look like for my family? What's important is not our uniformity in in our obedience to this biblical command, but there should be unity in our like-minded conviction that this is our role and responsibility as God's people, as parents entrusted with precious children to raise for God's glory. What does that look like for our family? That's not my job. That's not the job of the leadership of the church to tell you how you should do that, but it's our job to compel you to obey God's word, to invest in your children's lives with the truth of the gospel. That's just an example. And and there could be many more. And here's something that will help us in the pursuit of unity. Paul also calls believers to have the same love. That is, he tells believers to, in one respect, love the same things. Have a love for the same things. Because if we're to be like-minded, we need to love the same things. And the Bible teaches us what we should love. That's why we center all of our teaching on the Bible. That's why we place prominently in this worship service the teaching, the preaching, the proclamation of God's word, the Bible, the truth. We need to love the same things, and God's word instructs us on what we ought to love as his people. Focus your life on the truth. Focus your family on the truth. Focus your marriage on the truth of God's word. And let's focus our lives as a church family on the truth of God's word. And we will have 
a common love for the things that God loves. But in another respect, Paul wants the church to have the same love for one another. The same love for one another. Here's here's what I think is going on here. We need equal love for God's people. In other words, no favoritism allowed in God's church. Favoritism by parents where one child is loved more than another is never a pretty thing. We know that a good parent will see to loving all of his children equally and will have to discipline himself in that at times. And that's what we're called to in the church. So for the sake of pleasing the Lord and our unity, we are to practice loving one another equally. Even people who are difficult to love. With our love informed and shaped by God's word, it is possible to love one another equally. And then note, note also that Paul calls the Philippian church to be of full accord to be a full accord. I think of the, the, the question, which car did the apostles drive? Somebody says the Honda because they were all in one accord. And yes, I like lame jokes. But that's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about. The idea here is living in harmony with each other. We need to be in harmony. That's why it's so important to go back to the biblical foundation. What do we love? Well, we should love the same kinds of things as informed by the word of truth, God's word, the Bible. So the idea here is living in harmony with each other when we think about being in full accord or of one accord. We're not to let our differences of opinion or preferences, hear this, we're not to let our differences of opinion or preferences divide us. Or hinder us from being unified for the sake of the gospel. We should not allow those kinds of things to divide us. But we should be working together for the sake of the truth of the gospel. To proclaim Christ and make him known. Our aim is to always serve together for the cause of Christ. In harmony for the sake of the gospel. With the Bible as our guide. That should never change in this fellowship. Then Paul also charges the church to be of one mind, or as the New American Standard Bible translates this, intent on one purpose, of one mind. Again, not uniformity, but like-mindedness. Intent on one purpose. And our purpose here is to love the Lord our God. Why are we here? We are here to love the Lord our God. With what? With everything we have, with heart and soul and mind and strength. And then what? Start loving your neighbor. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. And love those who need Christ. Show them Christ with your love, with your life. And so God is challenging us and showing us today the foundation for our unity, which is the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought never forget, it's not based on our friendship and whether we like each other or not. We are commanded to love. We are commanded to unity. And that unity is based on God's love for us, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, for his people. And he has given us the call to unity as his people. We should remember also that this is what Jesus prayed for 
Jesus prayed for the unity of the church, his people, when he says in John chapter 17 and verses 20 and 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Let's never forget that. Our unity, our unity with one another under Christ, the head of the church, is so that the world may believe that, that God sent the Son to be the sacrifice for sins. It's so important that we understand that God has us here to live Christ, to live his gospel before the watching world. Now, I have an example for you of an opportunity that we will have in the days ahead to demonstrate unity as a church. On Monday, I shared with our deacons in our monthly meeting that my family and I have accepted an invitation to begin the process of becoming full-time resident missionary staff members at Camp Barakal in Fairview, Michigan. That does not mean that we're leaving right away but it means that our family will need to begin raising support as missionaries. That also means that the leadership here will soon begin the search process for your next pastor. I want to emphasize this. I especially want you to know that our acceptance of the invitation to become a part of the resident missionary staff of Camp Barakal has nothing to do with any negative experience during our time here serving with you all. We don't see disunity. We see unity. We're, we're so encouraged by that. On the contrary, we feel deeply blessed to call you our church family. We love you. And that has made this decision difficult. I want to encourage you that you are doing a wonderful job of taking care of your pastor. You're doing a wonderful job of encouraging his family. And we are excited and we're hopeful about the days ahead that we get to spend together in, in ministry, working on our unity together as we continue to serve together as we work through this process. I am greatly encouraged by the unity that I do see, and I am very hopeful that God has wonderful things for us as a church in the days ahead. As I spoke to a few of the deacons this week, I remarked to them how interesting it is how God works out the timing of our studies None of us arranged, I did not arrange this, no one else arranged this, that we would arrive at Philippians chapter 2 today and begin discussing the importance of the unity of God's people. But the Lord's timing is perfect, and the instruction of his word today is necessary and coincides with a change that is coming that could cause disunity if we let it. I trust that you will not. I'm confident that you will not. I'm confident that you will follow the leadership that God has put in this place to lead you in the days ahead. But I believe you will remember to fix your eyes on Christ. We have God's word as our guide. We have the Holy Spirit to help us and comfort us and lead us. And I am confident that you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Remember that your pastor is just one part of the body of Christ. 
remember not to fix your eyes on this leader or any other leader in particular. But follow godly leaders as you look to the one who gave his life for you and lives even now and intercedes for you at the Father's right hand. Keep your eyes on Christ. Because if we will keep our eyes on Christ, I believe we will be praising God when we see how he provides for us all in the months ahead. In a few moments, Paul Scobie, our deacon chairman, will come and share how the deacons are preparing for the days ahead. But first, I want to give you this encouragement. I have an example to share with you of how God uses us when we are seeking to be unified as a church. And this is why I am confident for our unity in the future. Midweek, Tom Wyrick shared this with me, and he gave me permission to share it with you today. Many of you know Kaylee and Zendaya and Destiny, young ladies who have come to Wednesday Night Club and youth group for several years by way of the van ministry, and their family recently moved, and we had to say our goodbyes to them as they moved to the Midland area. But before they did, Tom and Sharon asked the girls how many years they've been picking them up in a church van, and the girls answered, about five or so, almost five, maybe more. Then the girls gave a handwritten note to Tom and Sharon. It's addressed to the Wyricks, but Tom suggested I share it with you all because it really is about all of you. It's about this church. As, as Tom said, this note is not just about the van ministry. It's about all of you who make possible the Wednesday night club. And as I was thinking about it, it's about all of you who make youth group possible and Sunday school possible and van ministry possible and vacation Bible school and every other ministry in this church possible. So here's what the girls wrote We just wanted to take the time to say thank you very much for everything you've done for us. You guys have been a huge blessing in our lives, and I'm not sure where we'd be without you. You will always have a spot in our hearts and a place in our lives no matter where we go, and we appreciate the time you've taken to help us grow as people, but also strengthen our relationship with Christ. We can't begin to say thank you as much as it's due, but we really, really thank you and a great big thank you at the end. Isn't that great? Isn't that precious? That's why we are here. That's why we're doing what we're doing. That is why we serve together. This is why God's word compels us to be unified as a church. That is why we must be a church that demonstrates unity, that is marked by unity, challenges like looking for your next pastor or even looking for people who will serve in various ministries of the church will always be here. We'll always have these challenges. There will always be changes to face and some changes we're not so eager about, but as we each follow Christ, as God works in us by his Holy Spirit and word, I believe that we can expect to see great unity in our midst. And we can expect to see God use us greatly for the advancement of the gospel of Christ. As we gather back here, Lord willing, in this place next Sunday, we're going to take a closer look at some practical ways that we're to cultivate unity in the church. I told you, chapter 2 has a lot in it about unity in the church. Until then, I want to give you this encouragement from Psalm 133 and verse 1. Behold, How good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. May God's word encourage our hearts today. 
May God's word direct our steps in the days ahead as we continue to serve together to advance the cause of Jesus Christ, to advance the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul Scobie is going to come now and share just a few words and then close our service with prayer. As I stand here, I, I know that I probably face a lot of different emotions um, because I've also heard the same news this week that you have, and that's okay. Uh, we are people. Um, and so encouraged by Pastor and his ministry, and you know, one of, one of my first emotions was sadness of just enjoying the ministry that Pastor has had among us. But uh, as the Lord has been gracious to me this week, I've been greatly encouraged that um, this is not a time to be sad, but this is a time to be thankful that the pastor that the Lord brought to us is one who not only preaches obedience to God's word, but he is willing to take a step of faith with his family into the unknown at, at the Lord's leading. We are thankful for that, Pastor. We, uh, we trust that with the same uh, diligence and care that you prayed about coming to us, you have uh, you've entrusted this decision as well, and with that, uh, we can... We can be comfortable and be thankful and praise the Lord that he continues to work. Uh, and that means he's continuing to work in our midst as well, because if it's the Lord will, Lord's will for Pastor and uh, Carolyn and their family to move on to the next thing, then that means he has something great for us that's coming too. Um, I would like to just take a few moments and share a little bit uh, that comes from uh, a second meeting the deacons had this week. We'd had a couple days to reflect and wanted to be able to share some things with you today. Uh, first, we would like to publicly and as a group voice our continued support of Pastor in this, taking this step of faith. We respect that. We support him in that. And with that, we continue to support him in the ministry he has with us in the time that he has remaining with us. We don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, as he mentioned, they will be beginning to raise support for their family to, to take this step, and uh, so that will mean that there will be some time. It is his desire to minister to us in that time, and it is our desire to work with him as we can. And so a couple of things that will be happening you can be praying about. Uh, this week, a few of us will meet with Pastor, and we'll begin to have some deeper discussions about what that looks like to raise support, to what that would look like in continuing in ministry, to be sure that uh, he can be faithful in pastoral ministry and faithful, faithful moving forward to what the Lord has called them to. So please do be in prayer with us as we begin those discussions. I am sure that uh, we will talk this week and we will learn things as time goes on. So there will be ongoing communication. Um, and we would appreciate your prayer in that. But uh, we, would, we would like to stress that as a leadership team, we, we do fully support Pastor in this and moving forward. Um, secondly, please be in prayer over the next couple weeks. Uh, the deacons will be praying through uh, putting forth nominations for uh, those who may serve on a pulpit committee. As he mentioned, one of the next steps will be begin the process of searching for our next pastor. Uh, part of that uh, means that the deacons and up to three individuals from the congregation would make up a pulpit committee. So we will be over in the next couple of weeks going through that, praying through that, and uh, beginning to talk to folks to see if there's a willingness to be put on a ballot that would go before the body uh, so that the Lord through us collectively in our prayer, can put together that group that would take on this work. So please do be praying uh, to that end as well. And, you know, I, 
I could say some things about unity and those sorts of things, but I think Pastor has done a good job of that uh, this morning, encouraging us in that. But I would encourage us in prayer. Um, please pray that we would have the unity of the Spirit, that we recognize that we gather here as sinful people, that our only hope is in a loving God who sent His Son to pay the punishment for our sins on the cross at Calvary. It's because of that that we come here, we have joy, we have unity, and we are so thankful for that. Uh, please pray that the Lord would continue that unity of the Spirit. Pray for our ongoing ministry, that we would continue to be faithful in the opportunities the Lord brings before us. Please pray for Pastor and his family. As he mentioned, this was not an easy step to take. And uh, pray that the Lord would lead and guide and provide as, as he would see fit in his timing. There are certainly some answers that are unknown at this point in time, but be in prayer for that. Please as well be in, in prayer for the deacons as, as we take some of these first steps. It is our goal to communicate as much as we can, as quickly, quickly as we can, as part of what we're doing today, and we'll continue to do that as time goes on. Uh, knowing that with an announcement like this, there are probably questions. Um, some, if not all, of the deacons will remain here in the front of the auditorium when we wrap up, Pastor as well. If you have any questions that you would like to ask, please do Feel free to do that today or at any time. Uh, we may not know the answer to your question at this point in time, but we can say, I don't know, but we will get that answer out as quickly as we can. Uh, going forward, please feel free to, to talk with Pastor. He has said he would be happy to be available to talk to folks. Uh, talk to me, any of the other deacons. We would be happy to talk with you at any point in this time. Um, and one thing I would like to, I guess, leave us with an encouragement. If we were to go back up a paragraph or so in Philippians chapter 1, this is my prayer for our church, not only in this time, but in the years to come, no matter how many pastors the Lord leads and then leads on to another place. In verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, and this is what I would hope would be true of our, fa our family of faith here, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That is what we gather to do. I would encourage each one of us uh, as best we can with the Lord's help to do that. And I'd like to close this with a word of prayer now. And as I said, uh, we'll be available for questions afterwards um, or at any time when you think of a question, shoot an email, shoot a text, give a call. Uh, happy to talk through that. Uh, please bow with me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here today. Lord, we thank you that in all that you are, perfect in every way, and how we are so far from that, as we remembered in communion this morning, Lord, that, uh, that you made a way for our sins to be forgiven. We are eternally gratefully grateful for that. At this time in the life of this church, Lord, we pray that you would continue to work, that you would show yourself strong and mighty. Lord, we know that you are faithful. We have account after account after account in Scripture how you have shown yourself faithful to your people from the time you called Abraham. And you will continue to be faithful until the time in which you call us home. Lord, may we be a people that is pleasing to you by our, our hearts and our minds and the things that come out of our mouth and our actions. Lord, in a hundred years from now, may people be able to look back and say, not because we were great people, but that the people of First Baptist Church placed their faith in you and were faithful to the call that you set before us that we may bring honor and glory to your name. 
We are thankful that in the name of Jesus we can come before you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, I'd like to uh, take us back for some who have been here some uh, number of years to Pastor Harden. If you remember Pastor Harden, raise your hand. I'm sure you'll remember this about him. Pastor Harden would stand here and he would say, God is good. And all the time. And we're so thankful for that. So uh, you're dismissed. If you would like to talk to Pastor or one of the deacons, please feel free to, to come and see us. Thank you.